Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 33? We're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 33. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. Hear now God's word. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come to their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. As the Lord of heaven, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, these are beautiful promises. They came before us. They've been fulfilled in part before us. They will be fulfilled more fully at an hour that will come like a thief in the night. I pray that we as a people who live between promises that we have already and that are not yet complete, that we would enjoy them, we would relish in them, that we would live with all their benefits. We plead with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we just read a word of prophecy, right? God, through the prophet Jeremiah, he is telling us something that is going to happen in the future. But like most biblical prophecy, when we read it, the picture is actually a little bit fuzzy. We get some of the details, but it's hard to know exactly what the prophet is talking about and exactly what we are supposed to expect. And because that happens when we read Jeremiah, and it actually happens anytime we read prophecy, I want to do two things this morning. I want to spend some time first giving us one approach by which we can interpret the prophets. When we go from here, and we're on our own, and we're reading anywhere from Isaiah to Malachi, the major and the minor prophets, and other places that prophecy and exist in scripture, I want us to be as equipped as members to be able to have access to those prophecies by using a simple tool and a simple approach to say, how do I understand this on my own? So that's the first thing we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to study this approach. And the second thing we're going to do is... Um, enjoy the fruits of that labor. We're going to seek to do a word of application from this passage that comes from studying it through the approach that we're going to talk about. So the first thing we're going to do is talk about this approach to prophecy. There's a a biblical commentator that I really enjoy. His name is Christopher J.H. Wright. He's He's written a very readable commentary on Jeremiah. 
So if you're looking for an extended study in this book after we're done with it, I commend to you Christopher J.H. Wright. He's got an excellent, excellent, very short commentary on this book. And what Wright likes to say as we go through the prophet Jeremiah is that prophecy always has three horizons. There are three layers of future that come to us when a prophet tells us what we should expect that is coming that God is going to bring to us. I want us to just explore what each of those three horizons look like before we then turn those attention to our prophecy that we have in front of us. Every prophecy has three horizons. So horizon number one, are the events that happen closest at hand. So for example, God comes to Abraham, then called Abram in Genesis chapter 12, and he says to Abraham, I am going to make you into a great nation. That's a prophecy that's given to Abraham, and Abraham can expect a first horizon fulfillment. The events closest to hand are that God will literally bring to Abraham a great nation. He's going to have a son who has a son who has 12 sons who become 12 tribes and eventually we get the first chronicles and we have this great nation of Israel that came through Abraham based on the promise that God had given. So that's horizon one, the literal interpretation of events closest at hand. But of course there is another horizon that is even more important than the first horizon and that is horizon two which means those events will be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. So when Jesus came he began to teach to the crowds much to the chagrin of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Everybody who trusts in Jesus, everybody who comes to me by faith will quote recline at the table of Abraham, end quote. That's what Jesus said. In other words, yes, Abraham has this lineage. Yes, you have the ethnic people of Israel, but everybody who becomes a Christian, everybody who's born again, they're grafted into the people of Israel. And this great nation promised to Abraham was ethnic at first, but now it's spiritual today because we enjoy the benefits of being children of Abraham. What was ethnic has now become spiritual. So you see how these horizons are working, right? Abraham's had something that he expected. We don't know how much he knew about the second horizon, but he he began to see within a few generations the fulfillment of the first horizon. But ultimately, Jesus showed us what its true fulfillment meant in him. And that brings us to horizon three, which takes it even further. This is the horizon that happens at the end of time. This is when what's been promised to Abraham and fulfilled in Jesus ultimately is consummated when Jesus returns again. And we read in Revelation chapter 7 that that men, women, and children from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, from every era, they will gather together as the people of God, sons and daughters of Abraham, and they will worship God forever and ever and ever. Horizon 1, horizon 2, horizon 3. I was driving in the car with my five-year-old son who has a really hard time saying tomorrow. He doesn't have that concept. So as we were riding in the car, he was saying to me, Dad, not today, and not another today, and not another today, and not another today, but then today, we're going to go to heaven, and we won't kill bad guys anymore. And I thought, this is 
absolutely right. My Gentile son, who has been born thousands of years from Abraham and Palestine and Jesus, he lives between horizon two and horizon three. Jesus has come and Jesus is coming. And when the new Israel becomes the eternal Israel, worshiping God forever and ever and ever, my five-year-old son will stand in her ranks, a son of Abraham and a son of God, and he won't kill bad guys anymore. That will be the ultimate fulfillment of Horizon 3 blessing in Abraham. Now, the beauty of this approach, seeing that this gets unfolded in three different futures, is that it serves as one big fat reminder that God actually knows what he's doing. He actually knows what he's doing. It doesn't always look that way when you're on the ground, when you're stuck between a horizon, but God always knows what he's doing. He holds time. He holds space. He holds nations. He holds kings. He holds presidents. He holds armies. He holds dynasties in his hand to do exactly what he wants to do. If you're Abraham and you're promised a great nation and all you get through Sarah is one son, it might not look that way on the ground, but the book of Genesis tells us, hold on. God will be true to his word and we will see these fulfillments come. The other beauty of this approach is that we can begin to practice it on our own when we sit with the prophets. We open up a prophet, we hear a word of prophecy, And we can ask that word of prophecy three questions related to the three horizons. Number one, horizon one, what does God promise Israel? Like literally, what is he promising Israel right now? Horizon two, what will God fulfill in Jesus? And horizon three, what is still to come? Every prophecy we wrestle with, we can ask, what does God promise Israel? What does he fulfill in Christ? And what is still to come? That gives us the three futures that every prophecy holds. Now that triple horizon is going to work for our prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 33. We got the tool, we got the approach in our minds. Now we can actually bring it to bear on our passage. In our passage, you've got this threefold promise, right? God is saying these three things are going to take place. Number one, a righteous king will sit on David's throne, verses 14 to 17. Number two, a Levitical priest will always make sacrifices before God, verse 18. And number three, a group so great that it can't be numbered is going to be gathered into this kingdom. Verse 22. The more we practice these questions and these horizons, the easier it becomes for us to do this. But I'm going to take that approach and I'm going to apply it just to one of these core promises. We basically got an understanding of the great people through Abraham. Now I just want to take the promise of a king on David's throne and I want to see three horizons in the book of Jeremiah. Horizon 1, David prom, God promises a Davidic king. So this is Horizon 1, God is saying, there will always be a man on David's throne. 
Now, we didn't have to wait till Jeremiah 33 to hear that promise. We heard that promise as early as the book of Genesis, right? In Genesis chapter 49, God, through Jacob, promised Judah and his tribe that the scepter will never depart from his house. He will always have a king in his house. And lo and behold, many generations later, David is born in the tribe of Judah. And God tells David in one of the most important chapters in our Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 7, that he will always have a son on the throne. So if you're Israel and you're hearing those promises, you are expecting horizon one literal fulfillment that someone in the line of David will always occupy that throne. We can expect a Davidic kingdom. And true to his word, God repeats the promise here and he brings it to bear. Israel, they're about to be overrun by Babylon. They get exiled. But when they come back to Jerusalem and reoccupy Jerusalem, a son of David will rule in those days. Now, in all fairness, the new ruler in the line of David over Jerusalem after exile is not quite like David was in 1 Chronicles. It's a far cry from David's day. You read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and you hear about this feeble people trying to build a wall and the son of David acts more like a governor than a king. It's a horizon one fulfillment. God is being true to his word, but horizon one is disappointing. In fact, that's almost always true of horizon one. That's almost always true of the frontline fulfillment of the promise. It's a shadow And it is never meant to serve as the substance. People might treat it like the substance. People might hope in it like the substance. They might see David's rise in 1 Chronicles and hope that he is the one who is to come. But Horizon 1 will always disappoint. I was talking to somebody the other night about one of the most compelling documentaries that I've ever seen. And that is Cartel Land. I don't know if you've seen that on Netflix. Viewer discretion is definitely, definitely advised. I'm not recommending it. I'm just telling you it's one of the most compelling stories ever told because it is a secular Horizon One story. In this story, you've got a a place in Mexico that's completely overrun by a cartel. And the police are corrupt and the military is corrupt and no one's helping the citizens. And so you have a family physician who says enough is enough. And he rallies the community together, he arms them with weapons, and he begins to take over land in his community that's occupied by the cartel. You watch these farmers and citizens grab AK-47s and retake their land for justice and mercy, and I swear to you, if the doctor had stopped halfway into this documentary and turned to me and said, David, I need your help, I would have bought a one-way plane ticket to Mexico. You watch this doctor rise for justice and we ask like John the Baptist, is this the one we're supposed to expect? He does everything right. And I don't want to spoil the end of the documentary, but after it allows us to trust in horizon one, the substance of things we hope for, it dashes us to pieces. 
The doctor is not who we think he is, and the auto defenses are not who we think they've become, and we are sorely disappointed in Horizon 1. Watch out for that. God gives us shadows, he gives us tastes, he shows us the church, he shows us the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of God, and we begin to put too much stock in horizon one, and it will disappoint us because it was never meant to hold the weight that Jesus himself will hold in horizon two. Beware of the person who puts their faith in horizon one. This passage makes way for Horizon 2. It's not just that David will always have an ethnic son who will land on his throne, but the promised Davidic king is ultimately Jesus. Now remember when you open up the New Testament, you're doing a Bible reading plan, you're ready to read the New Testament, and the very first chapter out of the gate of the New Testament is a genealogy which has got to be the lamest way to start a book that you want people to keep reading, right? To give them a list of names and who beget who. That's like starting a memoir with a shopping list. You want to grab somebody. You want to compel somebody from the beginning of a story. And a genealogy is the worst way to do that unless you understand Matthew's point. Jesus, he is telling us from the gate, is from the line of Abraham from the line of Judah, from the line of David, he is that new horizon two king who will sit on David's throne and he will never leave. This is our call to worship, which happens at the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter one. And the Lord God will give to Jesus the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now speaking of no end, Horizon 3, in the book of Revelation we learn that this is true, that Jesus is the Lion of Judah, the root of David, and he will indeed occupy that throne and he will rule forever and ever and ever. That's taking this approach and applying it to Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah to Jesus, to the future, you've got three horizons and three steps. Now, the first time you hear this kind of approach to prophecy, I know it's confusing. It takes practice. This is a standing invitation. If anybody wants to come up to me and say, David, can we grab a beer this week and talk about triple horizon, exegesis of the major prophets, that would make my week. I mean, I would be thrilled to do that because that's giving us tools to have access to the prophets and what they're telling us. But any prophet, we can ask these three questions. What does God promise Israel? What does God fulfill in Jesus? And what is still to come at the end of time? That's the tool, that's the approach. Let me just close with a word of application. You and I, we're believers, we live between horizons. We actually stand between horizon two and horizon three, right? We look back to Jesus' first coming in horizon two, and we look forward to Jesus' second coming in horizon three. And and that's a funny place to be. We're kind of hanging out there between the horizons. We have all the good things that Jesus has promised will come to us, but they haven't yet been perfected in the fullness of time to come. 
And of all these things that are ours, that are good, that are already in our possession but not yet perfected, Jeremiah 33 adds three to the list. These are three benefits that you have as a believer in Christ, a people, a priest, and a king. We've talked about the people. We've talked about the king. I want to focus our application on the promise of someone to stand as a Levitical priest forever and ever. We hear that in verse 18. Look at that verse. The Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to be grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. Now put yourself in the shoes of an Israelite who heard Jeremiah's prophecy and you would expect as that Israelite that even after Babylon comes and they destroy the temple and they exile the people, someday we're going to return to the land of Jerusalem and those people had a very specific expectation and that was based on this prophecy, Horizon 1, surely God is going to rebuild his temple and surely the Levitical priest is going to be reorganized and surely we will have sacrifices again. That was an Israelite and that was horizon one thinking. I wonder if Jeremiah, when he said this prophecy, expected more than just the first horizon. We can think that because Jesus once said to a group of people like us, who receive and believe his word, he said, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jeremiah's in a jail cell in Jerusalem. He hears that the Levitical priesthood is going to be resurrected in some form. And Jesus says, Jeremiah longed to know what that looked like. God, tell me. I'm dying to know what a pure priesthood that lasts forever could look like. I I can't even imagine that's a Levite and his son and his son. I long to see what will be done on horizon two. And Jesus says, we see it. You and I see it. We have eyes to see. We have ears to hear. We know what Jesus has promised. That Jesus is the perfect priest who stands before God with the perfect sacrifice. That Old Testament priest that was so familiar to the Israelite, that was just a shadow. That was just a foretaste. That was just a a taste of the first horizon. An Israelite who had been born in those days, who, who existed within the first horizon, they would have known that in their day, because of their sin, they could bring a burnt offering to the priest. They could bring it to the temple, and the priest would take that burnt offering, and they would lay their hands on the animal and slit its throat and burn the entirety of that animal on the altar before God, as if to say, before that sinner and before God, Sin and rebellion against God deserves death. To snub the creator of the universe, that is a capital offense. But even so, if you've come in faith, 
You are about to experience gospel good news because by faith you can bring an offering before God and he will say to you, I will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and welcome you as an Israelite into fellowship with me. Horizon 1, it was a beautiful system before the people of Israel and it was all about grace. But it was a deeply flawed system. Priests, they themselves were sinners. And before they could sacrifice on behalf of a sinner, they had to offer their own sacrifice for their own sins before God. A priest was a mortal person. A priest would die and had to be replaced by another priest. The sacrifices that were made, the burnt offerings, they had to be made year after year after year with no reprieve. Horizon 1 was a grace, but it was an appetizer grace. It was given to the people of Israel. It was designed to make them hungry for the main meal of grace that was to come. Jesus, he's not like the Levitical priests that had come before him and in whose shoes he fills. He's perfect. And he needs not make a sacrifice for his own stead. He's immortal. And he never dies and never needs to be replaced. And his one sacrifice on the cross is efficacious for all eternity. And another sacrifice will never need to be made. The book of Hebrews, which quotes the book of Jeremiah liberally, says that if you thought the formal sacrificial system was something special... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You read your Old Testament and you taste the appetizer and then you look back to the cross and you see the main meal of grace, the blessings that we enjoy today. Do you know, Christian, that right now Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice on the cross stands, and when God sees you, he sees the perfect, spotless righteousness of his Son. The name over the New Jerusalem is the Lord is our righteousness. You are forgiven and you are clean By this priest. Do you know that Jesus as a priest stands before his father right now? He's an advocate on your behalf. He speaks to his father on your behalf. You now stand in all the blessings of that priestly ministry. You are spoken for before the father today and forevermore. You have an advocate in your priest. And do you know that when Jesus returns again a second time like a thief in the night, the book of Hebrews says it won't be to deal with sin because that has already been dealt with. It will be to save those who are eagerly waiting for their priest to come. You have been delivered and you will by your priest be delivered. Let's pray together. All benefits are ours. All promises made 
our yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We can flip through our Bibles and stick our finger anywhere. And Jesus between the horizons has given us a taste of the ultimate fulfillment of the things to come. You stand as our righteous king who acts righteously and gives us righteousness. You stand as a priest who has forgiven us in your once for all sacrifice. And you will gather to yourself us and a people that cannot be numbered. We enjoy it and we will enjoy it forever and ever and ever. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen.